0: Good afternoon, everyone. I was gonna ask if you could hear me. I think you can. So, good afternoon once again. Uh, my name is Andre, and I serve as one of the pastors of this church, uh, it's a privilege for me. Um, if you've been attending with us for the last few months, we've been going through the book of Romans. And today we're going to take a bit of a break from Romans. Uh, we've barely hit 50 sermons, as Pastor David mentioned, so we're still on the way. Today we're going to spend time in Psalm 119, uh, verses 1 to 8, not the entire psalm. It's the longest psalm. Uh, it's the longest chapter in the entire Bible. Uh, it has 22 stanzas or groups Um, Each group is for one letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, as we look at Aleph today, uh, I hope that we would be encouraged and and also challenged as we consider what the psalmist admires, uh, what they are after, and what they plan to do. Though there's no direct commands in our passage today, Uh, My prayer is that the writer's words would serve as a mirror to our own lives. Uh, My prayer is that we as EBC would consider what it means to be blessed because of obedience to God. That we as a church family here in Erbil would long for steadfastness before the Lord. And that we would be resolved to obey Him. So if you're taking notes, uh, my main point that I want you to walk away with today is this. It is blessed to be blameless before God. It is blessed to be blameless before God. Let's move to my first point, the blessedness of obedience. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His statutes, and seek Him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow His ways. So blessed, or or hashtag blessed, started appearing on social media around 2011. Uh, People would post a status update or a photo, and they would use this hashtag so that anybody who searches for it on any social media platform would see their post. Last time I checked, uh, just a few days ago, uh, people would hashtag blessed because they got a promotion at their job, or they they had a a good meal, or uh, their favorite team won a sports game, or they had an enjoyable vacation with with family or friends, Uh, or maybe they heard a convicting, encouraging sermon at church. Our psalm today begins with the writer describing what it means to be blessed. So according to the writer, to be be blessed is to be blameless without fault before the Lord. It's to be blameless in your ways because you walk according to God's law. You're you're blessed if you are somebody who who keeps God's statutes and seek Him with all your heart, doing no wrong, but following His ways. I question how many likes or comments the writer of Psalm 119 would would get, if he hashtagged himself. And if we're honest, there's not too many people in this world who would tie obedience to God as something to be blessed about. So to the writer, uh, blessed or, or happiness, as some translations put it, is not tied to any earthly thing. Not that we're not allowed to enjoy the good things we receive in this lifetime. But true blessedness comes ultimately from being blameless before God according to his law. So throughout Psalm 119, God's law given on Mount Sinai uh, to Moses is referred to uh, by different words. And here alone in verses 1 to 8, we see the words Law, we see statutes, we see ways, we see precepts, we see decrees and commands, all of this referring to God's given law to the Israelites through Moses, otherwise known as the Mosaic Covenant. So at one point in human history, God rescued his chosen people, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt. He he set them apart for his own possession. And, and they were to be different in how they lived from everyone else. Now, God's desire was not just to rescue them, but to, to dwell with them, to, to live with them. How, how does a holy God dwell with a sinful people? You know, where we come from, uh, to a certain degree, determines, you know, wh- how we gauge what is clean, Or when is something actually clean enough? See, I thought I was a pretty clean person, Then my wife, Jamal, and I got married, and I realized there's someone far cleaner and tidier than I. How much more with God? How much cleaner, purer, and righteous is He? He is the kind of holiness that burns unholiness. Even a dot or a wrinkle is undone in His presence. If God were to dwell with His people, they would have to be holy as He is holy. And so His laws that He gave are a perfect reflection of His perfection. So He he gave His laws with the expectation that The people of Israel, the people who have already experienced His salvation, would would center their entire lives around His given word. Deuteronomy 28 tells us that God promised that they would prosper and be blessed by Him if they obeyed. Or they would experience curses and suffering if they disobeyed. And this, this pattern of blessings for obedience or, or curses for disobedience would continue for God's people. As Joshua was starting out in the promised land, God commanded his people once again to always keep his law on their lips and, and to meditate on it day and night. And so his, his commitment to them through this given word was what set them apart from everyone else. His, his word, His given law would be the center of their lives. So in the same way, God's, God's word to us, His Bible, in, in all its complete revelation, both the Old and New Testament together, is meant to be the center of our lives, brothers and sisters. How, how regularly do you personally hear from God's voice in His word? Of all, the, of all the different voices that speak into your life daily, calling you to, to walk, to seek, to keep, and to follow them, where is God's voice in His Word to be found in your life this afternoon? And, and above all this, are you, are you attracted to this image of blessedness described in verses 1 to 3? Is that something uh, appealing or, or alluring to you? Is there any any attraction in your soul to be blessed in this way? Nobody can be blameless before God, though. And uh, this is a tension that the psalmist feels. So after describing blessedness as being found blameless according to his word, uh, the psalmist moves into longing for their life to be obedient uh, to moving into longing to be obedient to the Lord. So the second point I'm saying is uh, the longing for steadfastness. Just follow along with me. You have laid down your precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. If you're finally granted citizenship uh, to a country, uh, you are now especially obligated to follow the rules and the regulations of your new home. Uh, To disobey the rules would be to disobey the rule of those in authority. And in the same way, uh, God's people in this text who have received his salvation and, and received his law are called to obey their king. So, to to disobey God's given word would be to, to disobey God Himself. And God is not just another man, He's not just another person off of Ankawa. This is the creator of all the universe. He is the source of all good, and He is the one who seeks the good of His creation. His laws are meant to be for the good of His creation. And this God is not seeking half obedience, but rather a full obedience to the standard that He has set to the psalmist and to His people. So His his given precepts are appointed to His people to be fully obeyed. And again, the writer obviously has in mind this this promise of of blessings for obedience or or a curse if you don't uphold the words of His given law. But full obedience is not just simply doing the right thing externally. It's it's founded on a heart, the very center of a person's uh, thoughts, emotions, and and will. It's founded on a heart that seeks after God. And as we look at the song that the psalmist has wrote, there is a longing to be steadfast. The, the, The psalmist desires to be steadfast in how they walk and how they keep and how they seek and follow God and His Word. EBC, how are we doing in terms of longing for steadfastness to God? A steadfast person is is unchanging, firm, enduring, reliable and true, persevering till the very end. Are we as a church family marked by a longing to obey God's word faithfully? Is there an obedience to God's word in how we we love and and care for one another? In in how we, we shepherd our families? In how we raise our children? In how we relate to our co-workers and friends? In how we exercise the authority that God has given to us? Friends, as our church covenant says, let's not forget that through seeking God's help, we need to live carefully in this world. We need to deny ungodliness and worldly passions, remembering that we bear Christ's name. And now we have an obligation to lead new and holy lives. It also says that we need to walk together in brotherly love exercising affectionate care and watchfulness over each other. You know, often I'm encouraged when a a fellow church member tells me or confesses to me, I have not lived according to God's word. Not privately, but publicly. I've not lived according to his word in front of others. And some of you have been quick to admit um, that to the people you have wronged and you've asked them for forgiveness that commends the gospel in front of the watching world. So friends, one application for us to consider, it's this, it's pray to our Father, who is Himself steadfast and in love, uh, to give us a desire to obey Him and be steadfast in our obedience. So pray, friends, that's one application. Pray that God would give us a desire to obey Him and to be steadfast in our obedience. This is a kind of prayer that, that God delights to answer when his children pray for obedience. The, the psalmist's longing reveals how God was calling his people to be centered around his word. Uh, his word to, to Israel, his commitment to them was what set them apart from everyone else. And so remember, he's, he's, he's talking to a changed people, a people who've been saved out of Egypt. He's calling them to live different, changed lives. And so, friends, in the same way, God's word to us here in Erbil as believers, his commitment to us through his word, the centrality of his word in our lives is what should set us apart from the rest of Erbil. Will we be a people that are set apart from the rest of Erbil? Or will we look just like everybody else? And as I read this psalm, I wonder, what can the psalmists see of God that that we cannot? What have they seen of God that has caused them to desire steadfastness in obedience? Perhaps do do we know much about God, but believe so little about Him? Friends, God cares about our joy in this life and the next. Though his his word, some would argue, is sometimes it seems restrictive by the world's standards, it is for our good and the good of others. He has given us his word so that we would be like a tree planted by streams of living water bearing fruit in and out of season. Church, would would God open our eyes more and more to see him clearly in his word? Can what is finite speak to the welfare of your soul in the next life? The psalmist's longing to be steadfast finds its end in a hope that they will not be put to shame when they consider all of God's commands. God's commands are the standard for this psalmist. You know, it's often said that Christians are the worst examples of the God we serve to others. Just the other day, uh, a conservative Christian politician, Christian, uh, was caught committing public indecency uh, just shortly after making statements to protect the next generation from liberals. His words said one thing, but his actions displayed otherwise. Of course, the, the internet had a big moment of celebration in an age where believing in God and his laws is ridiculed, the, the world is always eager to crucify hypocrites. And it's not like we're safe from that here in Erbil. Uh, there's many people around you that you've probably met who are eager to disprove or dismiss Christianity. And they will use any negative report as evidence that, that Jesus never died or rose again. And that his followers are just a bunch of self-righteous hypocrites where we say one thing but our lives display otherwise. Friends, one application for us to consider from this section is to consider our walk with God in light of His Word. We need to consider our walk with God in light of His Word. As those who have claimed to receive salvation through Jesus, do, do our lives reveal a steady walk of of obedience? If you're sitting here and you claim to be a believer of Christ, does your life reveal a steady walk of obedience? Is there a keeping, is there a seeking and a following of God's given word? Is God's word really our standard? Sometimes we are more ashamed of being wrong in the eyes of, of culture. More than we are ashamed, more than we are being ashamed in the sight of God. Sometimes we care more about what the culture thinks, more than what God thinks. As our fear of man increases, our sight of God decreases.
1: When we seek
0: to honor the culture we come from more than God's word and his commands, we're essentially telling God that we know better than him, and that, that he, the creator of all things, uh, giver of our life and breath, doesn't know what he's doing. Maybe you've been in a situation where you've, you've sought to give godly counsel to someone uh, who is a believer, but the response is, I would listen to you, but you don't know what it's like to, to be Filipino. I would listen to you, but you don't know what it's like to be Iraqi. I would listen to you, but you don't know what it's like to be an Arab. Now, we would never directly say that to God. But when we choose to uphold our cultures above the culture of God's Word, we are essentially telling God the same thing. Friends, what are our countries before the Lord? The Bible tells us that kingdoms rise and fall according to His decree. So I want to encourage you to consider your walk in light of God's word. Consider what are ways our personal cultures affect our obedience to His ways. Friends, as the psalmist has said in verse 4, God has given us His words to be fully obeyed. And so far we've, we've considered the blessedness of obedience, uh, the psalmist's longing for steadfastness, Uh, Let's move now to our our last point, the the resolve to obey. Verse 7 onwards. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. Now, the word resolve has many meanings, but the meaning I have in mind here is, is to decide firmly on an action. So, for example, recently at a baptism we had here, we finally got baptized, we, we sung, I have decided to follow Jesus. Or you could say, I have resolved to follow Jesus. Verse 7 and 8 expresses the writer's decision or his resolve to praise God with an upright or, or honest or honorable heart while learning God's laws. So there's this resolve to praise while learning God's laws. But the the extent or the the, the degree to which we can praise God in our lives is limited by what we know about Him from His Word. For us to walk according to his word, to to keep his word, to seek him, to follow his ways, to obey, to consider his commands. To do all this, we need to be people of his word. As God's people would learn his word, they would be changed. But knowing him, knowing things about him is not enough. There's a resolve to obey with a request to not be forsaken. And for the, for the psalmist, learning about God from his word coexists with an obedience to his word. There's that resolve to obey God's decrees as he's commanded in his laws given to his people. So obedience is necessary. It's because that's what God requires of his people. Resolving to follow what he commands is non-negotiable. We cannot claim to be followers of God, yet willingly choose to disobey his words. Maybe you have sung the song, I've decided to follow Jesus at one point. But is the Jesus you're following one that you've created? Often we desire that God would never leave us. But we're unwilling to avail of the means of grace he's given to us so that we can get stronger and stronger in our walk with Jesus. Friends, God sanctifies us. He grows us through our faith, through His Word. The Bible says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You could be a Christian who understands and believes in in justification or what it means to be declared righteous through Christ alone. But perhaps you've not understood the necessity of sanctification, which is the process of becoming more and more holy. Our statement of faith says sanctification is that process which begins in our lives after regeneration or after we've been born again. And it carries on in the hearts of believers through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so friends, the the Spirit works through the continual use of of spiritual disciplines, including reading and hearing the Word of God and fellowship with Christians and self-examination and prayer. So if you are truly, truly in Christ, you will grow in holiness Holiness is not an option for a true believer. It is necessary. Our holiness does not save us, but it proves that we have saving faith. Holiness, in the words of of J.C. Ryle, he says, it's the outcome of being born again. He that is born again and has been made a new creature receives a new nature new principles and always lives a new life. Jesus says, he that abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. The branch which bears no fruit is dead. If there's no growth in holiness, there is no real faith in Christ. So if you claim to be a believer of Jesus, but your life doesn't look any different, you need a question. Am I really a follower of Christ? Or is that just a designation that I need to put down somewhere? Believers bear fruit. Our spiritual holiness is seen not just in words. You might know all the right verses and quote them back to me. But your life needs to be seen in holiness. James 12 warns us from being just hearers. It calls us to be doers of His word. On sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Friend, are you in danger of being that house? God was calling his people at this time to display how he has already saved them and how he lived. So if you're here and you claim to be a follower of Jesus, we have, friends, we have a new obligation to live holy lives. We have the responsibility to obey God's ways, specifically what he's commanded us in the New Testament. All that he teaches us and calls us to, we need to live out as noted down in his word in the New Testament. And just one application for us to obey, uh, to, to, to consider for ourselves is let us seek to obey God. Maybe it's a very obvious application, but that's what the text says. Let us <laughs> seek to obey God. Um, as he's given his word to Israel on Mount Sinai to be obeyed, he's also given us his word, this side of the cross, to be obeyed. The writer of the psalm, he ends this section with a request to not be forsaken. See, the, the writer understands that God is perfectly just to abandon him if he disobeys. And... As we look at the history of God's people through the Old Testament, God's word shows us that time and time and time again, people have failed to obey his word. As, as beautiful as, as God's law is, uh, as beautiful as a, a reflection of who he is, it's a mirror to who we are. And friends, we're very ugly. It reveals our disease. It reveals sin. Can anyone really be blameless before God? 2,000 years ago, a gift of grace was given to mankind. The only blessed, the only blameless one. One whose ways are blameless, who walked perfectly according to the law, who kept his statutes, who sought his father with all his heart, who fully fully obeyed his father's precepts, who was steadfast in obedience, who had nothing to be ashamed of because of full obedience. He came because God so loved this world. He came because nobody on earth can be justified or declared righteous through works of the law. Nobody back then, nobody today or ever can be perfect perfect according to God's word. But on a hill one day outside of Jerusalem, he was forsaken by his father. This this blameless one, crying out, my my God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken because of this world that loved the darkness. He who had no sin was made to be sin for you. For me. And he died and rose again so that those in him would show the righteousness of God. He came so that those who would believe in him alone could experience true blessedness. Friends, Jesus, he who is perfectly holy, perfectly loving, will return for his people one day. This is the gospel this is the good news. Now if you're sitting here, and if this passage has caused you to be more religious or or confident in your ability to follow God from your own strength, confident in your ability to obey, friend, you've completely missed the point of the gospel. Every other religion in the world says, do good and you'll be rewarded. But friend, you can never be righteous in front of a holy God. There is nothing you can do to be up to God's standard of morality. It is impossible. Friend, look to the blameless one. Look to Jesus. It is His blameless life that Christians hide behind. In Him, our life is hidden. It is only through him that you can know the blessing of being blameless before God. Friend, trust him to be your pardon before a holy God. Now, if you are in Jesus, if you are a follower of Christ, friend, you have a new heart. He has given you a new heart and a new spirit. He has removed your heart of stone And he's given you a heart of flesh. You're free to pursue God in holiness. You can continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act to fulfill his good purpose. We can strive for obedience. And though we will fall and fail, God calls us to run our race with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Though we may fall because we're still in the flesh, Jesus is your advocate. He's my advocate before the Father. He is the faithful high priest through whom we receive mercy and grace in our time of need. It is He who will silence the accuser. He silences the accuser and in the end we will triumph over the accuser because of the blood of the Lamb. Because of our faithful God, we can be confident that He who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Friend, it is He who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy. In Christ alone, And only through Christ in us can we be blameless before a holy God. Through Christ alone, we can experience the blessing of being blameless in this life. And more of that fullness in the life to come. Friends, it is blessed to be blameless before God. And we can experience that through Christ alone. Join your hearts with me in prayer. Father, would your word today cause a transformation in our lives? Or through your spirit's power, would we strive to be blameless according to your word? Not because we are ever good enough, but because Christ was perfect for sinners like us. In Christ, we are forgiven and we are free to pursue living holy lives. Father, would you increase in us a longing to be steadfast towards you? Would you give us the heart to obey you in our thoughts and in our actions? Father, cause our lives to be living sacrifices before you, praising you with our lives and and obeying you joyfully from the salvation you give us in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.